Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The sermon text this morning is the tenth of the ten words, Exodus 20, verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you have made us living souls that are impelled by our desires and our wants. We pray that you would fix our hearts and our eyes on true treasures so that we might be drawn there and enjoy you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stylistically, the tenth of the Ten Commandments is a surprise. The first five commandments are lengthy commandments that include explanations of why we should keep them. Each one of the first five commandments tells us what benefit we can have or gives us some model in God's own life. Remember the Sabbath. Why remember the Sabbath? Because God kept Sabbath. Why honor your father and mother? Because God will give you long life in the land that he gives you. But the second five commandments are all very short. In fact, several of them are only two words long in the Hebrew text. Not murder, not adultery, not steal. In the Hebrew, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor is four words long. And then we get to the tenth word, and it's as long by itself as the rest of the second part of the Decalogue is before it. And it doesn't need to be this long. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Repeats the same verb twice. And then it goes on to lists all the things we're not to covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is our neighbor's. Why not just cut to the chase? Why have that long list and then end it with anything else. Why not just say from the beginning, concisely, thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why does the Lord give us this tenth word in this elaborate form? It doesn't need to be this way. Why would he do it? This commandment reminds us of an earlier commandment in the list of ten words. It reminds us of the Sabbath commandment. The Sabbath commandment also has multiple verbs. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, and so on. There are multiple verbs in that commandment, as there are in the tenth word. And both of those commandments also include lists. The Sabbath commandment not only tells us to remember the Sabbath and rest, But it lists all the people that we're supposed to give rest to. It addresses heads of household or heads of businesses and says, you not only take rest for yourself, but all those who are under your authority receive the relief of a day off one one time every seven days. And also, that list reminds us of the list that's in the tenth word. In fact, there are a couple of 
uh, members of each list that are common. Both of them talk about servants. Both of them talk about cattle. There's something in the way the Ten Commandments are written that is pointing us to a connection between the Sabbath command, rest, give rest, and the tenth word, thou shalt not covet. And I think that stylistic similarity, the fact that both of them use multiple verbs and both of them include lists, points to a substantive connection. They're not just written similarly. They're written similarly because they are connected to one another. And I think the connection goes in both directions. How do we eliminate or kill covetousness, evil desire from our life? How do we discipline our desire? Well, one of the ways the Lord gives us to discipline desire is by instructing us to take time off from our money-making and our world-making and our buying and our selling and devote ourselves to Him, to reorient our desires, not to the things of the world, but to the Maker of the world, to our Lord and our Redeemer. The Sabbath is a discipline that helps us kill covetousness. And we have to be free of covetousness if we're going to be truly Sabbath keepers. We can't really rest simply by taking a day off or making sure we have leisure time, making sure we have a family vacation every year. Those can be awfully stressful and they can get, they can tire you out. That doesn't, that isn't what gives us rest. We aren't restful. We don't really keep Sabbath unless our hearts rest, unless our desires rest, unless we kill covetousness and desire the right things, and cleave to, and seek, and pursue the right things. In order to kill covetousness, we keep Sabbath. In order to keep Sabbath, we kill covetousness. And we can't be rest givers, relief givers. That is, we can't completely keep the Sabbath unless we are free of covetousness. The Sabbath requires us, the Sabbath required Israel, not only to take rest, but to give rest to others. It means one day out of seven, you can't keep making money. One year, Israel, out of every seven years, one year, Israel was forbidden to continue to plant and to harvest. They were being taught that they were not to pursue those things above all their pursuit, to pursue the Lord. And they could only do that if they were content in the Lord's gifts and the Lord's provision. They could only keep Sabbath by relieving the distressed, by giving food to the hungry, by giving clothing to the naked. They could only do that if they weren't hoarding their things to themselves. That is, only if they were free from covetousness. You've heard of vicious circles. I think the Sabbath command and the command against covetousness form a virtuous circle. As we keep Sabbath, the Lord disciplines our desires and reorients all our desires toward Him. As we uh, kill false desire and evil desires, we are actually able to keep Sabbath in the full uh, sense that it's supposed to be kept. The key to Sabbath living, the the key to keeping Sabbath not only as individuals, but as families and communities in Christ, the the key to this kind of covenant living is discipline of desire. Desire. The word used for covetous here is a word that simply means to desire. It doesn't contain the negative connotations that we give to covetousness or envy or jealousy 
or those other kinds of evil desires. The word, the Hebrew word itself just means desire. The issue is not whether we desire or not. The issue is what we desire. And the Lord is not forbidding us to desire. In fact, the Lord encourages us. He made us, in fact, to be desiring beings. Desire is not a side issue in the Bible. It's not an add-on for human beings. Desire is at the center of who we are. What we want is central to who we are as human beings. We might think we're created to be thinking beings. We're rational animals. We have these tremendous capacities for understanding the world and explaining the world. And that's true. But why do it? Why pursue understanding? Why do all the experiments and do all the investigations? Why study the world? Why study anything? Because we have a desire to know. Even our thinking and our knowing, our rational capacities, are driven by desire. We are desiring beings because we are living souls. In the Bible, the soul is not some kind of ghostly being that inhabits your body. The soul is the motive force, the moving force of your person. And we are created not just with souls, but the Bible says that we are created as living souls. Just like all the animals are in Genesis 1 and 2. All the animals are created, the, the, the animals that have capacity for motion. Uh, the, the, the land animals and the fish and the, the creeping things on the earth and birds are living things. They're living souls because they are impelled by desire. And we too are made living souls because we are impelled by desire. We are moved by what we want in order to pursue things, in order to uh, embark on projects, in order to try to understand the world around us. Our souls are the source of our desires for for physical things. We tend to think that our bodies hunger and thirst, our bodies desire sex. According to the Bible, it's the soul that hungers and thirsts. It's the soul of a man that desires a woman. We think of those as bodily desires, but the Bible directs them or indicates that they have their, uh, their, their origin in the soul. And of course, the soul is uh, ultimately, primarily, the source of our desire for God. And the Psalms frequently describe this desire in terms of what we would think of as bodily desires. My soul thirsts for God. My flesh yearns for you like a dry and weary land in which there is no water. My soul my soul longed and yearned for the courts of the Lord. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a parched land. My soul longs for you. My spirit seeks you. The, the Scriptures teach us that we are living souls, impelled by desire, desire for the things that we need to keep ourselves alive physically, the desire for the things that we need to be fulfilled as creatures made in the image of God. God wants us to desire. God wants us to want things. He wants us to have strong desires. The problem with the desires that the Tenth Commandment prohibits is not that they're too strong, but that they're misdirected. They're directed at the wrong objects. God made us living souls, desiring beings, and He put us in a world full of desirable things. Things that we can today take delight in. And He wants us to take delight in them. But those desires need to be rightly directed. 
And they can be misdirected in all kinds of ways. Covetousness is evil desire for that the things that your neighbor has. Wanting what your neighbor has. Desiring your neighbor's house or desiring your neighbor's wife. Sexual lust for your neighbor's wife. Or desiring your neighbor's uh, uh, household, his household pro- uh, 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 success. He's got so many servants and so many cattle, and I want to have as much success as he has. When you're covetous, you're liable to commit theft. You want to take something from your neighbor. You want to make sure that he doesn't succeed because you want to have more than he has. But evil desire can also take the form of envy, which doesn't produce theft. It produces murder. Envy and covetousness are not the same thing. If, you envy, if, you, if, you, if you're covetous of something, you want what they have. If you're envious of them, you want to make sure they don't have it. You don't care if you have it or not. Surely we don't ever feel like that. We don't ever feel like we just want to make sure that nobody enjoys that. If I can't have it, nobody can have it. If I can't be God, nobody can be God. If I can't succeed like that, nobody should succeed like that. That's envy. And that's the source, as Jesus says, of the murderous thoughts that come from our hearts. Jealousy in the Bible can be another form of evil desire, but at heart, jealousy in Scripture is a positive attribute. God Himself is jealous. His name is jealous. Jealousy is protectiveness and desire for what is already yours. A husband and a wife should be jealous for the attentions of the other. That's appropriate jealousy. That's the kind of jealousy that God shows for His bride. You have property, you have goods, you're properly jealous to protect them and preserve them. But that can go wrong. Even that good desire can go wrong. And it can lead to a kind of hoarding and a miserliness. We want to keep what we've got and we're not going to share it with anyone. Those are the kinds of evil desires that the 10th commandment prohibits. And all of them are, all of them are distorted, not because they're too strong, Desire is not wrong because it's too powerful. Desire is wrong because it's directed to the wrong things. Eve desires the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She's right. It is desirable to make one wise. It is good for food. It is beautiful. It's also forbidden. And her desire is misdirected. And she eats from the forbidden fruits and gives to her husband. Achan His soul is moved by the sight of these Babylonian garments and gold and silver that come out of Jericho. And so he hoards them and takes them to himself. It's not the desire is too strong. It's the desire is directed to the wrong things. Paul says covetousness is a form of idolatry. It's not only desire for the wrong things that makes it covetousness, but it's desire for something, and it's a search for a satisfaction that the thing won't give you. You think, of at least if I can finally get this job, if I can finally get this house, if I can finally have this much money in the bank, if I can have this kind of cushion in my budget, then I will be satisfied, then I will be happy. You're looking to the job. You're looking to some success. You're looking to money as your God, as your source of security, as your source of satisfaction. Covetousness is idolatry. We should put our desires and direct our desires to the treasure that God is and God has, not to those other treasures primarily. And when we do, that becomes a kind of idolatrous covetousness. God doesn't want us to have weak 
desires. He wants our desires to mature, to grow up, to get stronger. What drives out evil desires is strong, good desires. Desires for the right things, rightly ordered. That's what drives out evil desire. Don't try to suppress wanting things. Don't try to kill desire within you. That's not a biblical That's not a biblical uh, model or a biblical uh, uh, path to maturity. Desiring the right things with passion is the right path to biblical maturity. If we're going to fight covetousness, we're going to be fighting the world. Because the world, as John says, is constituted by evil desires. This is what the world is. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. We think of the world as a set of things. John says, no, it's a set of enticements. It's a set of lusts. And it's trying to get you to lust for and desire the same things that the world desires. It's trying to distract you from the true treasure that the Lord has in store for you. The world is always an enemy of godly desire. The world is always an enticement or a seduction to covetousness. But our world, I think, presents particular challenges. We have enticements to covetousness everywhere. Most of you have one in your pocket. Most of you could flip out your phone and go shopping while I'm preaching. You can look for... You know, a better sermon, bettersermons.com. It's got to be something, uh, something online that I'd rather listen to than this. I realized this some time ago when I turned over in bed, picked up my phone and ordered a book, you know, drifting off to sleep. Well, I need that book. Ordered a book from my Amazon app. Advertisements come up, uh, come at us relentlessly. And they're not just uh, information about goods. Goods are good. God has made a world of desirable things. He's made us to make desirable things. And those desires are good, but they're misdirected when we are uh, looking for uh, satisfaction in them. They're misdirected when we are seeking to find a world, uh, uh, finding happiness in them. And that's what advertisements are selling. Advertisements aren't selling goods. Look at the advertisements from the 1950s, early television. And you have these lengthy descriptions of the positive qualities of the product that you're going to be purchasing. Who cares? I just want to know who's using it and whether it's cool to use and whether lots of people are using it and whether I will be in some uh, in-group by using this product. The advertisements are selling you happiness. They're selling you a vision of life. And they're tempting you to find happiness and satisfaction there rather than in the living God. Our world is designed, in fact, to make covetousness one of the engines of progress. That's what keeps the Dow Industrial Average up. It's covetousness. We've turned covetousness into something positive, something that's necessary for the world to be as it is. More subtly, our world encourages us to think that our desires are most free when they're completely detached from any, uh, any fixed object when they are completely our own. Our desires are most free when we can say, I want that because I want that. I don't need any other reason. 
I just want it because I want it. That seems like freedom. That's what our world wants to tell us, that that is freedom. And if you fix your desires on any particular thing, then that inhibits your freedom because then you're narrowing down. You want this rather than that. That's, that's, uh, that's narrowing the number of choices, the options that you have. That looks like freedom, but that's a seduction. That's a lie. It's not even truly desire. Desire is only free when it's fixed on something. Desire, when you're desiring food, when you're hungry, you're only satisfied with food. If you're thirsty, you're only satisfied with something to drink. Desires have particular orientation, particular ends. And we, when we say we just want it because we want it, there's no end in view. It's just something I want. Then our desires truly become endless in both senses. They're endless because they don't have any direction or end or goal in view. And they're endless because they can never be satisfied. If we just want things because we want them, what's ultimately going to bring us satisfaction? There's always going to be something new to want. Our wants are always going to be drifting to something else. Our desires are only free when they're fixed and when they're bound. It's a paradox, but it's true. And that's what God wants for His children. The whole of the ten words are, are a... Uh, a, a declaration of independence for Israel. These are instructions for a freed people. That's what the Lord says at the beginning of the ten words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You've been brought out of slavery, now live free. And here is the path of freedom. Here's how you live free. By having no other gods before me, by not worshiping through images, by bearing my name with its proper weight, by keeping Sabbath, by obeying and honoring your father and your mother. You're free from violence and murder, free from sexual desires, evil sexual desires, free from theft and covetousness. That's the path of freedom. The ten words are all about a a way of life for those who have been liberated uh, by the Lord. And the tenth word is the same. God wants us to be free, and we can only be free if our desires are properly fixed. They have to be fixed, and they have to be fixed on the right things for us to be free. And when our desires are fixed, not ultimately on all the desirable things of this world, all the desirable things that that are good and good gifts of God, but rather fixed on God Himself, on the treasure that He promises, then we can truly be free, and then our souls can truly uh, pursue, uh, uh, pursue, freely pursue their desires. I've said throughout this series on the ten words that the ten words are a character description of Jesus. Jesus is the one who has no other gods before Him. Jesus is the one who uh, honors the image of God and does not worship images. Jesus is the one who keeps and gives Sabbath. Jesus is the one who does not kill. Jesus is the one who pays back and does not steal. And Jesus is the one whose heart is fixed on the treasures of his Father. Jesus is the one who's completely given, who's hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of his God. And as we put our sin to death, as we put our covetousness to death, We may walk in freedom. We're freed to walk as Jesus did, with God's will as our food and drink, and His treasures as our desire. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that He came in order to liberate us from our sin, liberate us from the condemnation of the law. We thank You that He's given His Spirit so that we might be renewed and so our desires can be reoriented. We can seek the treasure that is in heaven above, the truly desirable treasure. We pray that You would order our desires, give us Uh, strength to resist the many temptations and seductions that surround us and fix ourselves and fix our hearts, fix our souls on you and on the heavenly treasure you promise. We pray this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.